This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to John, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him, and I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here's the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, where, What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. And they came, and they saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him that day was Andrew, was Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means the anointed one. So he brought Simon to Jesus who looked at him and said, you're Simon, the son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which means Peter, the gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace be with you uh, through Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. So um, you got a little taste as we began um, what people called you and call you now and how different that can be. So let's start in a different direction. Let's ask you, uh, what is it that you call God? How, how do you speak God? Now, I know what the official answer. The official answer is the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But frankly, that's a little cumbersome when you're trying to have a conversation with someone to rattle off all of those names. For years, probably in reaction to my very rigid religious upbringing, uh, intentionally uh, in my daily prayers referred to God as Papa. I'm trying to break that down a little bit because, because the name that you use for God says something about how you're going to see God. Conversely, the way you see God says something about the names for God that you use. Buried my my cousin yesterday in Pittsburgh. I want to tell you a little bit about that. He and I were were one and two in the cousin birth order. I nosed him out by a couple of months. I was always the oldest. He was second, and then there was a, a whole bunch of them that came after us. And I learned in the last couple of weekends hanging out with my siblings and with my cousins for the very first time that they had a nickname for us that they never shared with us. When we weren't there, they referred to us in a, in a different kind of way. Um, they called us the heir, me, 
and they called my cousin the spare. So when we'd come into the room, they'd say, it's the heir and the spare. Now, oddly, very, very few of us in our family actually know each other's full baptismal names. We were there for baptism, but we don't remember them. Mine is James, and his is William, which frankly sounds like the heir and the spare, if you think about it very much. Uh, but they, they don't know us that way, and they didn't know us as Jim, and they didn't know us as Bill either. Uh, we we're both named after our fathers. They just added Junior after the end of our fathers' names. And uh, so my name um, that my family calls me, let me be really clear, no one else. <laughs> my name is Jimmy. And because my father was named Jimmy, my name is Little Jimmy. At my mother's funeral a week ago, the pastor finished by saying, little Jimmy would like to close with prayer. (laughs) My cousin Bill, on the other hand, he never went by Billy, ever. Uh, He tried that several times, didn't work. When he went to middle school, he tried to switch to Billy, but didn't work. And at his uh, visitation, friend after friend after friend shared with me that they almost missed the whole funeral because they didn't recognize his name in the newspaper, in the obituary, and we forgot to use his nickname. And his nickname was Mo. Mo. And everybody in town, if you said Mo, you'd know who he was. Now, I think it helps humanize scripture to understand this, that Jesus actually liked nicknames, and he used a lot of nicknames. He, he called people by nicknames. Uh, right away in his gospel reading, he calls uh, Simon Peter, which means the rock, uh, which I think is a way, and it's later confirmed by his confession of recognition of Jesus as Lord and Messiah, of lifting him up and saying, this is going to be the rock, this is going to be a center. But I think it kind of changes the picture if you say, the very first leader of the church the very first pope was named Rocky the First. James and John were sons of a Galilean fisherman named Zebedee. We know his name. Uh, and evidently he was either a hothead or he was a very loud, loud voice. Because even though James and John never say anything in any of the gospel accounts, they are known by Jesus as the sons of thunder. How'd you like that if your, your dad was referred to as thunder? And this one I I think will blow a few of you out. Um, Mary Magdalene, you know that name? All my childhood I thought Magdalene was like, if you're from Galilee, you're a Galilean. Um, But it's not, it's not that at all. Um, In fact, there was no such town ever named as Magdalene. And there is one that's vaguely close, but it didn't begin until 10 centuries later. And it was named after her rather than her named after it. And this, by the way, is how sexism works. Scholars now know that in Aramaic, the word Magdala means the tower, the tower of strength. Mary, the tower of strength. Mary, the one who towers over the other disciples. And so Jesus used a lot of these kind of nicknames, and people used a lot of names for him. Everybody didn't just call him his given name, which was Yeshua, Jesus, uh, Really, it should be translated into Joshua. Picture his mom saying, Josh, get in this room right now. When Jesus came out of the baptismal water, his heavenly father gave him a baptismal name. It was my beloved. You are my beloved. John called him in our text, the awaited, the anointed, which translates to the Messiah. And frankly, I picture his mama rocking him and calling him prince. I think all moms kind of think that way about their sons. But 
Prince of Peace, Son of the Living God. Those are all names. Now, I've been thinking a lot about names, as you, you can tell. This weekend is the NFL playoffs. Some of you are there. Uh, my team, the, the Steelers, are still in it. But the names of the, of the teams are what's kind of blowing me away. Yesterday, we had the Falcons versus the Seahawks. And we had the Texans versus the Patriots. And then we're going to have the Steelers versus the Chiefs. And then we're going to have who's, who's, Packers versus the Cowboys. You know, with the exception of very few teams, you know, the Cardinals come to mind, the Browns, whatever they are. Um, <laughs> most football teams somehow imply power and, and strength and, and that kind of brute force. Clemson Tigers won the whole thing. Cavaliers beat the Warriors. Kilbourne Wolves, Olden Tangy Braves, Giants, Jaguars, even countries, an American Eagle. So you start to get the idea of the value of these names. So in our reading today, John the Baptist, which by the cell is, is another nickname, uh, he could elsewhere be known as Jesus' cousin Johnny. John, called the Baptist, sees his cousin Yeshua, and he points him out to all of his friends and followers and says, that is the lamb. The lamb. Let that sink in for just a moment. Not a bear, not a bronco, not a badger, not a Spartan. A weak, pathetic, measly little lamb. If you were going to start a religion, would you go with lamb? Wouldn't you be tempted to go with something like Tyrannosaurus Rex? Something with some brute power to the thing? See, our world, our world respects might respects power, wrongly, but it does. Whether it's individuals who bully their way to get what they want, or nations that do the same thing, whether it's building walls around those that they won't recognize or to keep out that they, those that they won't see, the world understands, the world respects, the world celebrates sheer power. And it's very seductive stuff. It's seductive personally, and politically, and religiously. So it's worth spending a little bit of time about almost a throwaway word you heard in that gospel lesson. How did we choose lamb, lamb of God? And what does it say about us? And maybe, maybe more importantly, what does it say to us that Jesus, the Son of God's name is lamb? I don't do this often in sermons, but I, I, I went back to the dictionary. And you know how dictionary works, list all the different things that a word means. And first one was a young sheep. And I like the word young, not mature, not wise, not strong, young. One that is less than a year old or without permanent teeth, so much for a ferocious, fearful bite. A weak or gentle person, as opposed to a forceful or strong person. I did not know this one. A person easily financially cheated or deceived would be the opposite of a bear market or a bull market, a lamb being abused by the market. And, and my favorite, honestly, because of the Eucharistic images, lamb and edible meat. <laughs> so John the Baptist gets so excited when he sees Jesus 
that he blurts out, there is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the whole world. Do you think he had any clue that this Messiah was going to end up getting roasted on a cross? Do you think he realized at that point in his life that serious followers of his cousin Jesus would be treated in pretty much the same way? One of the saddest moments in all of Scripture is when St. John the Baptist is now sitting in a Roman prison cell. They put him in a cell and they've tortured him and they, they have threatened his life. And he tells his followers to go find my cousin Jesus and you ask him, are you the one or should we be finding somebody else? That's a moment of despair. And I get where that comes from because if Jesus was the one, the powerful one, shouldn't John have been able to just like break out of jail? Shouldn't he have been able to conquer the Roman Empire? Shouldn't he have been able to make Israel great again? Shouldn't he be able to force his version of peace on everybody else? The same Peter will be in the Garden of Gethsemane near the end of the story, and they'll be coming to take the lamb to the cross. And Peter's going to grab a sword. He's going to cut somebody's ear off. And Jesus is going to say, you put that back. Because anybody who takes up the sword, they're going to die by the sword. It doesn't work that way. Super Bowl's around the corner, and I will admit I don't get that excited about it except my team's in it this year. But it's a little scary what Super Bowl is about and what it says about our culture and our world. It's an annual battle between millionaires <laughs> to find out who can run the fastest and throw the farthest and hit the hardest. And millions and millions of dollars are going to be spent on what is nothing more than a modern gladiatorial contest. No lambs need to apply for Super Bowl status. And before we get there, we're going to have to endure a winner-loser drama called the presidential inauguration. But before we even get there, right now we're having a holiday weekend, federal holiday, national holiday, Monday. Doesn't get much press, does it? Banks are closed, post office closed, military's closed, government's closed, but you hardly hear about it. Some of that's racism, but I think some of it's actually about the lamb thing. Uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was a very different kind of hero. He was literally a martyr. He was someone who dared to love the world and to love his neighbors and to love his enemies in the same way that Christ did. And that is to love them like he was a lamb being led to slaughter. He'd been to a mountaintop. He'd seen a vision where enemies laid down their weapons and walked hand in hand, where children of all different colors could play together and trust each other, and where a lamb was going to rule from the throne over all of creation. And over and over and over again in all of his sermons, he repeated something that his father taught him, one of the best biographies ever read called Daddy King. He repeated what his father taught him as a child, that no one can force you to hate anyone. And so as dogs ripped the flesh of peaceful protesters, and as a bomb was thrown through the living room window where his children slept, 
he publicly called for his followers to love those who hated them. And then he died as he lived, refusing to bully his enemies. So tomorrow's a national holiday, the day to remember a modern-day saint, someone who, brace yourself, lived life like a lamb, trusting in the lamb of God. I think, I hope you've gathered, I think it's worth taking a deep breath this week because there's a lot going on in the world. Uh, And in and through it all, we are called to follow a lamb. And we're invited to recognize and to cherish opportunities that we have to love God and to love our neighbors and to love our enemies and to reach out to the world, not with hate, but with love. And and believe me, in the last couple weeks, I get it. There are moments... Uh, and you probably have them too, and there will be more. It's just, it's just natural, it's human to ask, well, couldn't you be something else, God? <laughs> Do you have to be a lamb? Couldn't you be something stronger and more powerful and more immediate? But the truth is, we worship the lamb, the lamb who I joyfully share takes away the sin of the whole world. And we follow a lamb who was roasted on a cross, We follow a lamb who was resurrected from the grave. We follow a lamb that sits on the very throne of God and will come again. That's the name of God, little lamb Jesus. That's what what they called him, and that is who he is, and we are called to be like him in this world. Amen.